All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, open it to John 11. John 11, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 44 this morning. Uh, we are in the middle of really a year-long study through the book of John, spending some time together looking at uh, who was, who is Jesus Christ? Uh, what does he do? Why does he matter? Uh, and this morning's passage is really uh, a turning point, the hinge that the entire uh, book of John really revolves on. As in today's passage, we're going to see how Jesus will bring life to one man that will ultimately result in death to himself. And so with your Bibles open, follow as I read John 11, 1 through 44. Now, a man named Lazarus was ill, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will stumble, for they see by this world's light. But it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus, though, had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Well, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Uh, now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Mary answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, no, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. 
After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went out to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the man born blind kept this man from dying? Well, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been in there four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you have sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Well, I wonder how your thoughts about death may have changed over the last year. Because for the last 18 months or so, death has been the headline. We've seen death on a massive scale with a pandemic that's killed now over 4 million people globally, 600,000 in the U.S., 38,000 here in our own state. As some of us have friends and family members that we've lost through this. And then we've also seen death on the personal scale with the disturbing, traumatic killing of George Floyd on camera. It's been a year of loss. The most precious thing that we have, life. And just when we thought maybe we can put this past us, think about something else. Mercilessly, 94 people die in a condo collapse just down near Miami. And even if your own thoughts about death, maybe didn't change that much over the last year and a half, the amount that you think about it surely must have. Generally speaking, we don't really like to think about death a whole lot, even though it is the inevitable fate of every one of us that's sitting here in this room this morning. It was Hamlet in the great Shakespeare play who said to his uncle Claudius, we fatten up creatures to feed ourselves and we fatten up ourselves to feed the worms. 
A man can fish with a worm that ate a king and then eat the fish he catches with that worm. To which Claudius replied, what do you mean by that? And Hamlet said, nothing much, just to show that a king can move through the bowels of a beggar. Worm food. That's what Hamlet's saying we all become. In the end, we, we, we all become worm food. Now, I don't mean to be overly dark here, but when's the last time you've been walking on the sidewalk and looked at a worm and thought, you might eat me someday? I never have. I mean, you'd probably think me crazy if I did. And yet, the inevitability of death is tragically consistent. Life is fragile. The mortality rate is one person for every one person. And the tragic events of this last year, if anything, have only forced that grim reality onto our minds even more. Uh, well, for the people in Jesus' day, they lived every day in the face of death. Uh, the life expectancy rate for someone around that time was about 25 years old, with only 40% of the population actually making it to that age. Only 50% of children reached their 10th birthday. It was, a, it was a society that lived every day with the acute awareness of their coming death. And in the midst of that, in our passage this morning, Jesus offers a promise to these two grieving sisters having just endured the trauma of burying their own brother, a promise that will not only let you cope with death, but will give you hope as you live in the face of death. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And so he asked Martha the all-important question, do you believe this? Do you hear this morning, do you believe this? Because it's just not Martha being asked this question right now. No, the Apostle John very much intends for his readers then, for us here this morning, to hear Jesus asking us that same question, do you believe this? In other words, do you have a faith in Jesus that can give you the resources you need to live life in the face of death? And, and maybe if you're not a Christian, does your religion, does your understanding of life give you the resources you need to face your inevitable death? You know, I mean, I'm not trying to be too dramatic here, but it, you know, if you got a call tomorrow from your doctor that said, your test results are in, and I'm, I'm so sorry, but I think you, you need to come into my office for us to talk about this one. What would you think? What would you feel? Well, in this morning's passage, there's three things happening here, three things that we need to see Jesus doing to help us understand this great hope he can give us as we all live life in the face of death. Jesus loves, he reveals, and he raises. So first, Jesus loves. Uh, now, Jesus' love for Lazarus, his sisters, his disciples, makes him do really two startling things here. 
right? First, Jesus loves them, so he waits. Uh, Lazarus, Jesus' friend, has gotten very sick, presumably close to death. And so in verse 3, his sisters get word to him uh, that Lazarus is close to dying. And John writes in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two more days. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, is sick and he stays. Jesus, can we get a little bit of urgency here? Your friend Lazarus is in the hospital. He's about to die and, and you've got to wrap up a couple things at the office before you can go? Really? Jesus loves, so he waits. Then he loves, so he goes. In verse 7, it says, And then he said to his disciples after the two days, Let us go back to Judea. Now, this was, uh, this was a very risky move for, Ju for Jesus. The last time he was in the region of Judea, the Jewish leaders there tried to kill him. They tried to stone him to death. And Jesus' disciples remember this, and so they, you know, they ask him in verse 8, are, you know, are you sure you really want to do that? You remember what happened last time we were there? didn't really look that good for you or us. Jesus, people are going to know that you're there. You could die if you go back. But Jesus says to them in verse 11, No, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going to go there to wake him up. And his disciples, they don't uh, fully understand what he's talking about. And so in verse 14, John says, Then Jesus told them plainly, Okay, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there, so that you may believe. And that right there explains both Jesus waiting and his going. He did all of that in order to strengthen his disciples and these two grieving sisters' faith. Uh, you see, in that day, there was a, uh, there was a Jewish myth that after you died, your soul hovered over your body for three days in hopes that you'd come back to life and your soul could go back into your body. But on the fourth day, uh, it was thought that your soul left and that now all hope was abandoned of you ever supposedly coming back to life. And so Jesus, he waits so that when he gets to Lazarus, he knows it'll be on the fourth day, the day of no hope so that he can strengthen his disciples and this family's faith in his breathtaking superiority over death. But he also loves this family and his disciples, so he then goes. See, Jesus, uh, he knows what is going to happen when he gets there. He knows what he's going to do. He knows what it's going to lead to. Uh, in John's gospel, it is the raising of Lazarus here in chapter 11 uh, that is the moment that finally sets off the chain of events that lead to Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus knows that if he goes there, if he raises Lazarus, it'll mean life for Lazarus and death for Jesus. And yet, he loves them so much that he goes so that in the face of death, they might have faith in his own power over death. You see, Jesus knows 
that the fear of death actually robs us of life, right? That unless you have something that can give you hope in the face of death, the the fear, the anxiety of our inevitable death actually robs us of the life that we have right now. You know, the the Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy understood this perfectly. He, He was, in his time, wildly successful, popular, wealthy, but was constantly tormented with the idea of death. Uh, And finally, one Christmas morning, he was sitting there watching one of his kids play, and the existence of his life in the face of death became so overwhelming that he finally cried out, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? When we live under the shadow of death, when we live under this unknown of what comes next, the anxiety about what our death will mean for us, it actually steals from us right now the flourishing, the vitality that Jesus says he's come to bring. This is actually what's happening with these two sisters here. Mary, Martha, the disciples, they believe in Jesus. If you've been reading John's gospel up until this point, they've already made professions of faith uh, that they, they believe Jesus is the Son of God, the one who's come to rescue them from their sin, to restore them to life with God, but they're not experiencing the fullness of this life with God yet. Why? The fear of death. Which Jesus says in the next chapter, Satan uses, hangs over Christians to rob them of their joy, of their life with Christ. And so Jesus loves this family his disciples, you, too much for that. And so he waits until the right time and then goes, knowing it will mean eventually his own death, all so he can strengthen our faith in him in the face of death. Jesus loves, Jesus reveals Jesus comes to these two uh, grieving sisters, exhausted from from the trauma of having buried their own brother, and reveals two things to them about the significance of this miracle he's about to perform. First, Jesus reveals his hope in death. Jesus is on his way to see this family, and Martha, Lazarus' sister, comes out to meet Jesus. And in verse 21, uh, says, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother, Martha, will rise again. And she says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus is revealing here the hope he can give us as we all face death. He says, I am the resurrection. Now, when Martha had just talked about the resurrection, that she knows her brother is going to rise and that, she's talking about uh, the general resurrection. At the end of time, when when all of God's people will be raised and transformed into bodies of spiritual and physical beauty. But Jesus here, 
shifts her focus away from the the abstract, distant resurrection into the flesh and blood reality of it right in front of her. I am the resurrection, Martha. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, will live. In other words, Jesus is saying here, I have the authority to give you a resurrected life at the end of time. A life with no sin, no death, no decay, just complete joy and beauty. That if you believe in me, regardless of what your life is like right now, and regardless of how your life ends, your future is incredibly bright. But here's the best part. We don't have to wait to experience this. Because Jesus then tells her, I am the life. Whoever believes in me has resurrection life already and will never die. In other words, Jesus lets you experience in part now on this side of death the resurrection life that will be yours in full at the end of time. That when we believe in Jesus through his spirit, this glorious resurrection future that he's promising here, it breaks into your present, assuring us now of the great, incredible eternity that awaits for us. Meaning this, here is Jesus' big hope in death. The fear of death is broken. That even though death will be unpleasant, for most of us, painful, scary, as the English pastor John Stott once wrote, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, his promise to Christians is that death will prove to be a trivial episode, a transition into fullness of life, a fullness of life that Jesus is actually telling us here he can let you begin to experience now. Jesus reveals his hope in death and his heart towards death. Uh, Martha goes back and gets her sister Mary, who runs out to Jesus, falls at his feet, and essentially says what her sister said. Jesus, if you had been here, everything would have been different. And in verse 33, John writes, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, the word that that gets translated into English here, deeply moved in spirit, that that is not nearly intense enough uh, to capture what's going on here. The Greek word there uh, is used in other places to describe a horse snorting in frustration. And when it's used of a person, it's used to describe someone in in an outburst of of anger. Think Jesus, chest heaving, face crumpled up. He is in a rage. At what? Death. See, as we read in, in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates this perfect world, one without death. Meaning that that death is an intruder, an invader, an unwanted guest. 
into Jesus' world, something that he hates because of all the pain and sadness that it causes. And so he rages at it. And then he weeps over it in verse 35. He grieves it. Now, Jesus' heart toward death here, right? His, his outrage and his grief is very different than uh, what is the typical modern response to death today, right? Jesus, probably for a lot of us, seems maybe a little too unhinged here, all right? Modern people today, we have a much uh, just cooler, stoic, detached view of death. You know, it's like the uh, director Woody Allen once said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens, you know, it's just biological life cycle. Plants die, pets die, people die. It's unfortunate, but it's just a fact of life. Well, does that explanation really satisfy things for you? The psychologist, uh, psychologist Carl Jung uh, once wrote, Death is indeed a fearful piece of brutality. There's no sense of pretending otherwise. It is brutal not only as a physical event, but far more so psychologically. A human being is torn away from us, and there no longer exists any hope for relationship with them, for all those bridges have been smashed in one blow. In other words, what, what Jung is saying here is that what makes life meaningful, what makes life, life worth living is love. And a true love for someone, by definition, doesn't want to end. It, it never wants to be apart from the one that you love. And yet death comes along and callously picks those relationships off one by one, taking the ones we love from us, removing the thing that makes life meaningful, makes life worth living from us until eventually it comes for you. And, and we, you know, modern people today, we just say it's natural. It's just an unfortunate fact of life. Really? Like, like what? We all, we all die and we fertilize the ground and the antelopes eat the grass and the lions eat the antelopes and it's just one big circle of life. It's a big happy ending like the Lion King. Really? No, death is an enemy. It is not something to have this cool, stoic, detached view of. No, do what you know your heart wants to do. What is a bit of the image of God speaking out of you? What Jesus reveals here is his own heart to death. And as the poet Dylan Thomas once wrote, rage, rage at the dying of the night. Jesus loves, he reveals, and he raises. In verse 38, Jesus, he comes to the tomb, and uh, there's a large stone over the entrance. And he tells the people there, to move the stone, as if he is about to just march right in there and invade the world of the dead himself. And Jesus then cries out in this loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And suddenly, out from the shadow of the dark cave, you hear shuffling, groaning, movement, Life, the, the dead man, St. John writes in verse 44, came out. 
Lazarus, still wrapped in his burial cloths, walks out from death into the bright light of day. And do you, do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is reversing death. Jesus, God in Jesus, is reversing the effects of humanity's sin. But what love, what grace, what kindness Jesus is doing here what the Messiah was promised to do to reverse the effects of the fall in our world. And as we sing at Christmas time, make God's blessings flow as far as the curse is found. But not entirely yet. See, what's happening with Lazarus isn't actually a resurrection, but a resuscitation. Uh, Lazarus here isn't resurrected into a body of spiritual, physical beauty. No, in fact... By the end of this wider story in the next chapter, Lazarus is again under the power of death as the Jewish leaders put a hit out him. They decide to kill him. Now, this isn't a resurrection, but it is a signal to the power over death that Jesus is about to show in his own resurrection. See, later in John, we come to another tomb with another stone rolled in front of it where again Mary sits and weeps over the cruelty of death. This time not of her brother, but of her friend, Jesus. Crucified three days prior to this, the Lord Jesus Christ entered his own tomb, faced his own death, and smashed a hole through it. When by the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And the crucified Jesus walked out of the tomb into the light of day, not wrapped in his own burial cloths like Lazarus, but leaving them neatly folded up in the tomb next to him as a sign of his own superiority over death. And it is now through his resurrection that C.S. Lewis says, Jesus has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. That because Jesus has risen through faith in him, we will rise too. You know, imagine you're sewing with a, a needle and some thread. And every time, you know, you push the needle through the cloth, the needle pulls the thread through with it. Well, in his resurrection, Jesus Christ has punctured a hole through death. And... When we believe in him, just like that needle pulls the thread along through it, Jesus actually pulls you through death with him. That actually life is no longer fragile, but when we become a Christian, death now becomes fragile. This is the great Christian hope. That though death will be unpleasant and is unwanted, through faith in Jesus, he carries us through death with him. That we have the great hope of the resurrection, that we will not just survive death, but our bodies and ourselves will be raised and transformed, resurrected and glorified. The great Easter hope that through faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what your life is like right now and regardless of how it ends, your future is incredibly bright. And so how do we have this hope? 
How can we trust Jesus with our death? By trusting him with your sin. Uh, You know what death ultimately is? Death is God's legal consequence for our sin. It It is his punishment, his judgment for the sin that is inside all of us. And yet on the cross, Jesus Christ, led by the kindness of his Father and the affection in his own heart, was crucified in order to pay the penalty, to bear the consequences, to endure the wages of our sin. Jesus offering himself up at a measurable personal cost in order to cancel the record of debt of our sins that stood against us. And when he did this, Jesus dealt with the cause of our sin, removing for all those who have faith in him the sentence of death that has hung over us. Meaning, if you want to trust Jesus with your death, trust him with your sin. Don't try to handle your sin on your own. Don't live with this false hope that that you'll be able to coax God through your imperfect obedience and morality into forgiving you, into removing the sentence of death for your sin that's hanging over you, it'll never work. But don't also live with the anxiety of your coming death because you know you have sin in you that runs far too deep for you to do anything about. No, trust the one who here in John 11 cried, Lazarus, come out so I can come in who gives this dead man life by offering up his own life. The one who on the cross in love died so that through faith in him, through faith in his death for our sin, God now will never act toward us on account of our sins, but instead will act toward us only on the account of the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Trust Christ with your sin. And when you do, you can live life in the face of death with this great assurance that because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, death won't be the end. Now, as John Stott says, it will purely be a trivial episode, a transition into the fullness of life. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. The one who reverses death and gives us risen life. Holy Spirit, help us now as we live life in the face of death to believe this great promise of Jesus and believing be assured that through him, death won't be the end of us. We will live And the resurrection life we have right now means we will never truly die. Amen.